All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the fifth day of February 2019. I'd like to remind you each and every week, I'm the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com. I uh, like to put in a plug for Chen Lin as well. His letter is, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? Go to chenpicks.com to sign up for Chen's great newsletter. He uh, focuses to a great extent on energy, biotechs, and the gold shares as well. And uh, we also like to put in a plug for Michael Oliver, who's so kind to be with us almost every week. He's here with us again this week. OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com is where you go to sign up for Michael's letter. We want to encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, whatever they may be, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I also want to thank our sponsors. They make this show economically viable. Our sponsors this week are in resources, Novo Resources, Triumph Gold, Gold Mining Inc., Uranium Energy, and we have a new sponsor. We want to welcome Miramont Resources trades in Toronto under the symbol M-O-N-T. In the U.S., you can buy it as I have under the symbol M-R-R-M-F. Now, this is another company that Dr. Quentin Henning is involved with. Dr. Henning is the chairman of Miramont, and he is intimately involved in the exploration plans for the company's very large-scale gold-copper porphyry targets in southern Peru. I will be interviewing a, a member of that management team in the near future. I would also like to remind you that I will be speaking at the Metals Investor Forum in Toronto on March 1st, along with the companies that I've invited there, including Dr. Quentin Henning's Novo Resources. And I'm really excited to have also, uh, in addition to Novo, Rise Gold, Brixton Resources, Coral Gold, Fremont Gold, New Range Gold, Klondike Gold, and Riverside Resources. Now, if you are able to attend this event, it occurs on March 1st and March 2nd, just as the PDAC is getting underway, you need to go right away, as soon as possible, to jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com. Click on the Metals Investor Forum banner and give your name and email address so that you are assured a spot uh, at this event. Uh, as I understand, the seats are limited and it's uh, first come, first serve. There's still spaces available, but they won't necessarily last until March 1st. I've titled today's show, Socialism Provides a Bullish Case for Gold. 
John Rubino, Michael Oliver, and Jim Payne, our return guests this week. Nothing is more destructive to an economy and the material well-being over the longer term than socialism, which of course attempts to interfere with the natural laws of economics as given to us by our creator. The latest example of a hell on earth created by socialism is of course Venezuela, but there are many more we could cite if there were time and if it were a need to do so. One would have thought that after the death of the Soviet Union, intellectuals should have learned a lesson. They should have learned and understood that socialism as an economic system forces humankind to lead a life of poverty and chaos. Of course, that is not to say that all forms of socialism are bad. Socialism uh, initiated from the caring heart of an individual towards another human being is indeed a very good thing. It's a very constructive uh, act. It can give life and hope to people who would otherwise be hopeless. For example, a mother and father who work hard and give their children not only food, clothing, and shelter, but give of their time to enrich the emotional, spiritual, and educational needs of their children, make this world a more orderly and prosperous place long into the future. So I'm not against socialism when it's directed from inside of an individual outward to those they love. But that is quite different from the propaganda of the revolutionary Marxist of the far-left Democrat Party, now like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or Elizabeth Warren, or any number of others far left in the Democratic Party. Like all Marxists, these are people who believe you should be forced at the point of a gun to share your wealth to an impersonal state that not only cares little about the people they pretend to help, but in the process destroys the ability of, of a society to efficiently employ scarce resources through capitalism. And these Marxists, like all totalitarians, seek to destroy the family through all manner of sexual perversions, abortions, general immorality, including a theft of private property by governments, so that the state becomes lord over all. But it will, without any doubt, lead to a hellhole every time. The good news, if there is any, in America's evolution towards socialist dictatorship is the fact that gold is the go-to asset in times of economic demise and chaos. And as I've said many times, I'm a gold bug, not because I want to see all these horrible things happen, but because the stage is set by uh, the monetary system for horrible things. The uh, getting off the gold standard in 1971 provided the framework for all of the nonsense, the socialism that's going on now. Well, John Rubino will be with me to talk about the phenomenon of uh, AOC, Alexandria Oak, Ocasio-Cortez, and other socialists that are now gaining a great deal of popularity, especially among the youth who have not been taught anything about the virtues of capitalism by their largely Marxist indoctrinated professors. Right after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Jim Payne. He's the president and CEO of Dynasert. That's a company whose hydrogen technology is paving the way for carbon fuel savings and vast uh, vast reduction of carbon emissions from internal combustion engines. The markets are, are enormous for this company, I believe, and the economics look very compelling. After some difficulties a year or two in the in the past, it looks like this company may be ready to start a very positive run now. So I'm eager to hear uh, what uh, Jim Payne has to say right after our first commercial break. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Good to be back, Jay. Always good to have you, and it's always good to tell our people it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, 
to catch up with what Michael's doing. There's some free stuff there, and it's also the place you can go to sign up for his excellent newsletter, which includes not only the more comprehensive one, but one that is focused on gold and silver as well. Uh, and that is a, a less expensive uh, uh, letter than the more comprehensive one. Well, Michael, uh, the equity markets seem to have defied gravity once again, especially since Chairman Powell's backed away, seemingly capitulating uh, to the hissy fit that's being thrown, that was being thrown towards the end of the year by Wall Street. Is this uh, is this market going to? Is there any anything called gravity left for the equity markets? No, I don't think so. I think you're nearing now. You're nearing. Uh, we had specified twenty seven thirty nine. I think today's high is twenty seven thirty eight and a half so far as a uh-huh. beginning area of resistance on the S and P rally. Uh, it's been strong, uh, but it's it, it's running up to the underside of momentum resistance and actually price resistance on many of the sectors. We just put out a report today on various key sectors. They all look basically the same as the S&P. In other words, they're broken, uh, both on price and momentum. The rally is up under the violation levels that occurred in October through December. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a failing rally. Uh, we haven't had near-term sign of the downturn yet, but it won't take a heck of a lot to get that uh, underway. Um, specifically, I'd say about uh, the couple percent off this today's high, and it's over. The rally's over, then you explore the downside again. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're bullish and believing in this, uh, think twice. <laughs> uh, uh, don't get married well, to all the people cheering on TV. and It's every CNBC, Fox, Business News, you name it, they're all cheering the rally. But yeah, well, and... The Fed has surrendered. There's no question. Yeah. They All right. So the the Fed has surrendered. So if we start Good to goal. see the, the the decline in the price of uh, in the equity markets, you're going to see them screaming and hollering for more easy money, right? Right. But I think the investor preference shift is now fully underway, and smart money is not trusting the stock rally. The 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 bullion crowd might be, but the smart money is moving out. And the evidence of that is the continued firm gold market, the continued steady firm T-bond market, and also a very subtle thing. Consumer staples sector is traditionally a defensive sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, we want to own the toilet paper makers, so to yeah, speak. Sure. Uh, it's hardly a place to be in the bull market, but how come it's behaving so well? Last week it was up more by a full percent than the S&P. How come mm-hmm. smart money is moving into an, an alternative or a defensive sector, despite the rally. In other words, somebody doesn't trust the rally. And I'll go with those somebodies. I agree with them. Yeah. Um, comment on, the, pardon me if I can interrupt. Yeah, sure, go ahead. some philosophical thoughts. Uh, uh, your subject for this week, it sounds very interesting, and I'm eager to, to listen to your other guests you've got. Uh, but uh, m- my background is political philosophy, not I know. markets. Uh, and I wrote a book that was actually my master's thesis back in 1972-73, called The New Libertarianism, Anarcho-Capitalism. Mm-hmm. And this new phenomenon of these democratic socialists, so-called, uh, most people don't realize, uh, when they think of the spectrum, they think of national socialism or Nazism as right-wing. Mm-hmm. But in fact, uh, I included this in my book back in 1973. Uh, that we published it in 2013. The link is on our website, MSA, OliverMSA.com. But... Uh, and I'm not trying to promote the book, but there's an idea here that most people are well, Why not? Fascism, which is a variant of socialism, actually. In fact, yep. national Absolutely. socialism is what the Nazi party was, came from Mussolini. Mussolini, and we're talking way before the war now, was the chief editor of the largest socialist publication in Italy, socialist publication mm-hmm. in Italy. Okay, he, divide, he altered socialism slightly by saying instead of 
taking the means of production and seizing them will allow you, the owner of the business, to continue making your steel or whatever you make, but under our control, the government will effectively own you, but without owning you. So you still own Mm -hmm. the deed, but we direct your cost of labor, the production output, et cetera, et cetera. So in fact, it's a a form of socialism without taking the deed away. That was his subtle Uh variant. And worst, Hitler, the worst kind. Hitler adapted that. Well, what do we have today? They yeah. don't seize the deed of the companies, but they regulate everything to the point where it's effectively right. Uh, right. offshoot of the government. So mm-hmm. these, these people, the democratic socialists, are in fact very, very close intellectually to fascism, the original, Absolutely. which is not, nothing but a variant of the original socialism. In fact, back during, and there is a linkage back during the Roosevelt administration. Hitler, or way before the war now, Hitler wrote a, a letter to the editor type thing praising the Roosevelt post-depression uh, uh, response to the Depression, all his stimulus things and so forth. Hitler praised it, again, before the war started. Uh, and many of the people who surrounded Roosevelt at the time, his intellectual bulwark around him, not, not department heads, but people who were, he interchanged ideas with, were, wrote articles and articles praising Mussolini's ideas of socialism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the notion of the democratic socialists today, and they renounce fascism, and yet they are almost a perfect reflection of Mussolini. In fact, if I, you took Mussolini's writings and eliminated his name from them, most of these people would praise what they were reading. Right. So it's a very well, That's exactly time. right. That's exactly right. So the left is, is calling Trump a fascist, and in fact... Their it's policies like the are fascist. Is, is their, their policies, yeah. absolutely. All right, no Ma- question. Michael, with a minute left, then, uh, how are the gold market's looking? You know, we're, we're looking, I think you had talked about the possibility of taking out five-year highs sometime in the near term. Do you think that's still a possibility? Uh, in the last weekend report, we pulled back and said, well, listen, we've had a nice move from when I, we made that statement. It was above 1240 in gold. It's gone up to uh, 1325 cents. Uh, and we've paused here. It's possible that we're wrong in the sense that we, by February 20th, we won't take out 1392, which is the highest trade of the last five years. But if we congest here, uh, basically in the 1300s, low to middle 1300s, without taking out that level during the month of February, I think that it's probably a pause before the breakout that occurs in March. And so we'll have been wrong on the timing in terms of trading days, but not wrong on the basic thrust of the market. So I'm still quite bullish on gold, whether it makes it in 50 trading days through those highs or whether it just sits here and growls. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it's, it's setting up to go through those highs, period. All right. All right. The, the markets should be setting up very nicely for our gold shares, too, I would think. Uh, for, uh, the gold shares have behaved incredibly in the last several weeks relative to gold, and people should heed that. Uh, they, they are the place to be. All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, once well, again, you for, sharing your, for sharing your thoughts, and, and especially the ones on, on uh, the f- uh, economic and, and uh, political philosophy. Very interesting and, and certainly insightful. And your book, uh, don't, don't worry about, uh, it's not a shameless plug, it's, it's fine. Uh, we, we like people to read your book. Uh, I've read it. Uh, it's excellent in terms of helping people understand what's, what's really going on now above uh, and beyond the rhetoric. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, folks... We do have to go to break, but don't go away. Jim Payne of Dinosert will be back with us. That's a company that was struggling a lot. They were on our show in the past. Looks like uh, they may have broken through to some blue sky on the upside, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Payne. 
Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Gold Mining, Inc., ticker symbol G-O-L-D on the T-S-X and G-L-D-L-F on the O-T-C is the biggest bet for gold investors and legendary investors like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and Marin Katusa, who put millions of dollars into backing the company, along with institutional investors. The insiders own over 20%. Gold Mining has strong cash and no debt. It's one of the top 1% of gold companies that has over 20 million ounces of gold resources. Visit goldmining.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Jim Payne with me back again on this show. We've had uh, Jim Payne, the president and CEO of Dynasert, with us in the past. Dynasert is a Toronto-based company that developed the next generation of fuel savings technology for diesel engines in the global market, and the company's hydrogen technology uh, provides fuel savings uh, from between 6 and 19.2%. Reduces diesel emissions between 40 and 60 percent, reduces diesel particulate, uh, increases engine power, extends engine and oil life, uh, meaning lower maintenance costs for uh, for trucks and other engines. So, uh, Jim, thank you for coming back with us today, and I'm really eager to hear about the progress that you've made because I know you've had a struggle in the past, and uh, things seem to be going much better. So, uh, I want to hear about that. Maybe first, I should tell my listeners. Uh, you can buy the stock in Toronto under the symbol DYA. In the U.S., the symbol is DYFSF. DYF is in Frank, S is in Sarah, F is in Frank. 267 million shares out, and I saw earlier today it was trading at around 26 cents in the U.S., giving it a market cap of around 69 million. So thanks for coming on with me again, Jim. Thank you, Jay. It's always it's always a pleasure. Always good to have you with me. Um, we, I know that your your company has had some struggles, some startup struggles. Not, not unusual. I mean, the the markets that you're looking at are very, very large, uh, and I don't know of any company ever that just comes out of the gate without some hiccups along the way. So, uh, to me, in my way of thinking, while we had hoped that everything would be just clean sailing and easy, easy going, it's it's hardly life is hardly ever that way. But I'm wondering if, just to start with, for the sake of people that might not be familiar with your company, could you give our listeners just a sense of what hydrogen, your technology, can do 
for for people with large diesel engines. Absolutely. Uh, so <clears throat> what we have, it's our hydrogen units. Uh, specifically, it was designed initially for the transport trucks. Uh, with that, you know, this is a, it's a very unique electrolysis system that produces pure hydrogen and pure oxygen and feeds it to the, into the internal combustion engine through the intake to enhance the burn. Uh, by doing that, you know, it has, uh, we've now proven this thing worldwide where we, you know, reduce the emissions very specifically, uh, the reduction of NOx, the NOx, uh, this we just had verified actually in Germany through TUV. Uh, we reduced the NOx by 88%. We reduced the CO or the carbon monoxide uh, up to 51%, the reduction of the hydrocarbons by up to 50%, and the reduction of the particulate matter or the black smoke in the north of 74%. Uh, at the same time, you know, with our technology, it really does enhance the burn, so therefore it improves the fuel economy. <clears throat> now we've got, uh, I know you look on our website, it, show, it shows from 6 to 19.2%. Uh, typically, you know, we are north of 10%, but uh, in Germany, the TUV testing, this was done on a brand new 2018 MAN transport truck. They ran this truck for three months. During that three months, on the road, in real road conditions, running through the mountains, they got 20.8% improved fuel economy. Wow. On the dynamometer, under the perfect conditions, in lab, it showed 8.9% fuel economy. But I mean, even at 8.9% fuel economy, our product, just with the fuel savings, gives the, uh, gives the end user a return on investment in less than one year. So, mm-hmm. you know, it certainly, you know, it pays for itself, but, but more importantly, it is such a, you know, it does such a significant job of reducing the emissions, uh, which we all know. I mean, now, you know, you read about it everywhere. I mean, we're in a, a war against NOx, war against NOx. I mean, the governments worldwide and with our technology, we are reducing these emissions at the source. This is not a filtration system. This is right at the burn. So, you know, I, I think that is probably one of the key things. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, um, so you have the fuel savings, which gives economic incentive for people to equip their diesel engines with this technology. Uh, but in, in some parts of the world, not in the United States, but I think probably in Germany and, and maybe in Canada, too, uh, you have carbon credits, I believe, don't you? Uh, is there some way that companies can profit uh, by using your technology uh, in the carbon credit markets? Do I have that right? You're absolutely right, Jay. And uh, what we are, I mean, we are currently working with a group in the UK. Uh, I mean, you get into the European market, they're experts in the carbon credits. So because of all the verified emission savings now, this is being, we're in the process of having a certified for the carbon credits. We're doing it through the UK because, uh, you know, through the UK, this gets us everywhere where the Paris Accord is. I mean, this, and you get into European, you get into Asia, you get into India. Uh, carbon credits are a huge commodity. Uh, North America, it's just catching on. We're just trying to get it figured out. But certainly worldwide, everywhere else, it is huge. With our smart ECU, which is the electronics that controls our unit, it monitors and monetizes carbon credits. We actually have worldwide patents filed on this, uh, you know, and uh, so I really think that is going to be a huge thing for 
for both Dynacert and for the end users in the future. Can you give us some idea of what the size of the markets are and the various markets that hydrogen might be suited for? Well, we are suited for literally any diesel engine or any heavy fuel engine. Currently, you know, our first go-to-market was on transport trucks. Now we are on buses. We are on construction equipment. We are now in large power generators. And just last, just actually Monday of this week, we announced our first uh, entry into the mining industry. We have just produced very large units for the big mining, for the big you know, the big trucks that are hauling the ore, like these are trucks where the wheels stand 12 feet tall. Uh, so we've manufactured large units for that now. Uh, I mean, these trucks burn a million dollars worth of fuel a year, one truck. They're running 24-7 just hauling ore. So, you know, again, you know, the emissions are huge. I mean, the mining companies, you know, are you know, really committed to improving their, you know, their emission standards and reducing the carbon footprint at the same time, you know, the economics are there and the fuel savings. Uh, Looking into the future, I mean, we're looking at shipping and rail. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, our product is scalable. Uh, Now, the other thing we have done is we've developed a smaller unit for the refrigerated trailers and the refrigerated containers. They call them here reefers. Um, So actually one of our favorite grocers in Canada, asked us to develop this for them. We are launching that just at the end of the first quarter of this year. We've got this smaller unit because you look at the reefer market, it is actually three times the size of the transportation market in North mm. America. So, again, mm-hmm. it's a huge market. Can you give us an idea what the size in terms of dollars uh, we might be talking about here? Yeah, so in Canadian dollars, I mean, our unit for a transport truck averages right around $9,000 to, <clears throat> to the end user. And, you know, with that, even, like I said, if you look at an 8 to 10% uh, fuel improvement in fuel economy, their return on investment is literally 8 to 10 months. Now, mm-hmm. the also, I mean, you take the diesel exhaust fluid. It's called DEF, which is a urea that right now all diesel engines in North America have to have on it. Uh, you know, our technology is proven to it's, it's reducing the use of the diesel exhaust fluid by, by an average of 65%. And uh, then again, you look at the particulate matter, you know, the engines all have now what's called the DPF or diesel particulate filters. And these are very costly filters. When they plug up, it costs the trucking industry a huge amount of downtime and a lot of problems. Uh, we're reducing the particulate matter on an average, well, north of 70% right at the, right at the source. So, you know, that is prolonging the life of the particulate filters, again, so it's, it's improving the downtime of the trucks. It's, you know, causing, it's giving them much more uh, financial benefit in, in, that, in that area also. So it's, Jim, you've had some good news from India. Could you talk about that for a minute? <clears throat> we have. As a matter of fact, just, uh, just last week, we just announced, uh, so... Our product, I mean, first of all, we've spent, as you know, I mean, we ran into some problems with our unit, our first soft launch. We regrouped. We got this whole thing done, and, and so it was, you know, and primarily it was electronics where we were running into issues. We got that all corrected, and then we spent a significant amount of time and money to have this thing tested and verified worldwide. 
We did this here in North America through the PIC group in, in the Quebec, which is called, considered the gold standards within the transportation industry of North America. Then we did it in Germany through TUF North and TUF South. And then just recently we just had it uh, certified through ICAT in India. So with that, just last week we announced, you know, and the Indian government has committed the first order for two provinces in India uh, for very substantial orders, you know, to start outfitting it there. Now, their big concern is certainly the emissions. I mean, you look at those countries, the air is so thick, it, I, I struggle to understand how people can even breathe right now. It's, it's, you know, but they are really taking strong stands now to clean that up. And certainly the diesel engines are a big proponent in uh, including those countries. Yeah, I think there was some reference to fishing vessels in India, if I, if I read your press release correctly. That's right. We also have them in India now. We've got them on trucks. We've got them on buses. And then we've got two companies that, are, that have put them on fishing vessels. I mean, the fishing vessels over there are, you get in certain areas. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, a big, big market for them. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're very conscientious of their, of their economics again and the fuel savings and reality is, you know, with those fishing vessels, they're an older type engine, they're even getting much better fuel economy than what we get in the modern day truck. But more importantly, again, you know, it it is uh, reducing those emissions very significantly. So the big issue, I think, and and the turnaround here now, finally, Jim, is that you've got your electronics issues turned around. I mean, that that was what really held you back here, wasn't it? It certainly was, Jay. I mean, that was, you know, it... Uh, we first launched, and, and uh, we ran into some serious problems with electronics. Uh, but we have um, David Bridge, gentleman here, our team. I mean, he was one of the original developers from Virgin Mobile, Virgin Mobile, and then from RIM for BlackBerry. I mean, he is the brains behind our brain. Uh, you know, we have got this thing now where we have this electronics. It's like nothing else in the world. I mean, it really is without a doubt in my mind, you know, our number one biggest asset. Because it's, it's not just the electronics. It's not just running our unit, but it also interfaces with the engine to determine the proper flow rates of gases to optimize the burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, how, um, how soon do you think you might be at the place where you can start breaking even and showing some even some positive, uh, some positive cash flows? Jay, I certainly expect that this year. I expect it sooner than later, but I am very cautious to put a time and a date on it. But uh, there is no doubt we've now got uh, we've got sales happening around the globe. We've got sales happening here in North America. Uh, we've got some of the largest fleets in North America that have bought some units now because of what we went through in the past. I mean, they're starting out small. They bought yeah. five units, but the good news is they're now starting to repeat. You know, so they bought five units, now they're coming back and buying five or ten more. So it, it is, I mean, we are building confidence back in the marketplace. And, you know, once that happens, I mean, just to put things in perspective, I look back a few years ago, you know the skirts under trailers? Mm-hmm. I remember when they were first, first launched, everybody said they will never put these things on. Now you're so hard-pressed to find a trailer anywhere without them. And I mm-hmm. believe, you know, when, when those scales tip, it will be the same thing with this technology. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure once, uh, once it's proven that it works and uh, people start saving money, 
uh, th- that's going to be the incentive uh, to buy your product. And is there anybody else that's competing with you? And I think you've got some patents that are moving forward. And then, and then finally, with just about a minute left, also, uh, there are environmentalists out there that want to get rid of the uh, internal combustion engine completely and go to electric vehicles. Do you see that as a threat to your business model anytime in the near future? I certainly do not, Jay. I mean, you know, I know that electric vehicles, you know, you look at delivery trucks not around the city, I think they're a great thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You get these long-haul trucks. I mean, these trucks go on the road. They run 24-7. They've got different drivers, you know. Uh, you can't do that with an electric truck. Plus the fact that, you know, you take these long-haul trucks on the road, you add 6,000 pounds of batteries on it, what's that do to your payload? You no, know, the economics sure. are not there. All right. Well, at least for the foreseeable future. And what we're right. looking forward to, uh, how soon you'll be reporting your next, uh, I, I guess your year-end numbers will be coming out pretty soon? Uh, they will. Uh, year-end should be out, uh, I think, it's the end of next March. month. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, it looks to April. me like... Yeah. It looks to me like you may have turned the corner here, Jim, and if you have, I, I think this is a very exciting story. Look forward to keeping up with you on it, and, uh, and uh, best wishes to you as we, uh, as we head into this new year. Jay, I really appreciate that. Thank you. You bet. All right. We'll come back and talk to us again sometime. Folks, okay. that's uh, all the time we have for this segment, but don't go away. John Rubino will be with us to discuss why the rise of socialism in America might be Pretty bad for the economy, but might be pretty good for gold bugs. Don't go away. I'll be right back with John Rubino. Triumph Gold holds a 100% interest in the district-scale Free Gold Mountain Gold Copper Project in Yukon with a government-maintained road accessing their 200-square-kilometer property. The 2018 drill program has resulted in exciting discoveries to date, hitting the richest intersection ever in a porphyry system in Yukon. The company is well-funded and has a large institutional holding, including Gold Corp and Zijin Mining. Triumph trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol TIG and the OTC markets TIGCF. The website is triumphgoldcorp.com. Uranium Energy Corp, NYSE, American UEC, is America's emerging uranium producer. The company is 100% unhedged and has fully permitted and licensed processing plant and production-ready uranium assets in South Texas and Wyoming. With a rising uranium spot price, UEC is positioned to lead and supply to the U.S. uranium requirements ahead. Visit uraniumenergy.com and on Twitter at Uranium Energy. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with us once again, John Rubino, a good friend of mine, and he has uh, actually hosted this show on a couple of occasions. A really great guy, uh, very well in tune with the financial markets and with what's going on in the world, even though he lives in Idaho. I must say, uh, living in New York City, it seems like I should know what's going on, but John seems to have a better beat on things than I do in many respects, at least uh, in terms of the markets, and that's why we like to have him on with us. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. Yeah, yeah, you should have a better handle on things than me. <laughs> Aren't you on the stock exchange? <laughs> well, I live in Queens, so I'm not I'm not down there near Wall Street or Broad Street or Water Street or some of those places where I used to work at times. But, um, John, I, I want to ask you, um, you know, that one month is gone already. It's just gone so fast, the first month of 2019. But what is your take? How are you viewing things as we as we begin this new year now, as far as the economy goes? Do you see economic growth continuing uh, this year? Do you see uh, do you see inflation picking up possibly? Employment, unemployment. Uh, how do how does the economy look to you as we start this new year? Well, we learned a really important lesson in um, 2018, which is the Fed cannot raise interest rates beyond current levels without causing the markets to completely freak out. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have talked about this for the past few years, right? Rising interest rates in an over-indebted system is a death sentence because it pushes up everybody's interest cost. And everybody is so indebted that their interest costs are already pretty high. And if they go up because the average interest rate rises, then that breaks their budget, whether it's a government or a corporation or an individual, and causes chaos in the world. And we started to see that. We had a bear market just emerge out of nowhere in October and November of last year. Uh, and then it bottomed in December. The Fed announced that, oh, never mind about further interest rate increases, you know, and, and in fact, never mind about quantitative tightening. We will stop the balance sheet from shrinking by, by allowing bonds to mature and run off. Um, and that placated the markets a little bit, but the, the damage is already done on two levels. One is that interest rates are already high enough to cause trouble. You know, corporate profit, um, expectations have dropped below zero growth already for the coming year. And U.S. stocks are, are priced on the premise of strong earnings growth forever. So that's a danger out there. And, you know, a lot of that is because of um, interest rates going up, which raises corporate borrowing costs. And the other is, as I said, we know the Fed is out of ammo now. We found out what they can do without destroying the leveraged speculating community and the rest of the financial markets. So now they don't have any way to rein in rising inflation or any kind of instability out there. So to the extent that the financial markets stay stable now and the economy continues to grow, um, then the Fed has nothing left with which to fight inflation going forward. And that's a big problem out there. So, so the short answer is, whatever we do, we've got a giant crisis out there. We just don't know exactly which crisis it will be and when it'll hit, but we have no ammo left to stabilize things when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've always sort of viewed it uh, increasingly over the, over the decades as we've gone deeper and deeper into debt. The debt to GDP has continued to rise almost exponentially. Debt relative to GDP is, is growing dramatically. And so it seems to me that we're perched on the edge of a knife, John, almost 
one side you could take us into a deflationary depression, another could be a hyperinflationary uh, situation. In either case, it's a depression the way it looks to me. Do you agree with that? Oh, oh yeah, one or the other. Because what we saw during the last couple of months of 2018 was the beginning of a deflationary depression. Mm-hmm. If it had been allowed to continue, we would be back in at least 2008, 2009, and maybe 1932. Um, the Fed responded with basically inflationary talk. They haven't done anything yet, but the uh, the implication is that they're ready to inflate away the dollar to the point that, uh, that we can pay our debts off. So don't worry about your debts. Um, so if they actually make good on that promise, then we're in inflation. You know, then, then we're heading for Weimar Germany or Venezuela, or at least the U.S. circa 1978 or so, when inflation was uh, low double digits and interest rates were spiking into the mid double digits. Mm-hmm. So either way, um, something bad is coming, and it's just a question of the decisions that are made at the top, really, because the uh, the debt that we've taken on has its own momentum. You know, debt is inherently deflationary because when, when you take on too much, by, by the way, there's one stat that people should be paying attention to, and that is the almost junk rated debt out there in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Um, corporations have been suckered into borrowing so much money, mostly to buy back their own stock over the past few years. Um, and and that, that, that the amount of debt they've taken on has led to a lot of downgrades. So there's this huge chunk um, of debt that's rated one step above junk bond level. Uh, and in the next recession, next time something happens to slow down the economy and cause corporations to report negative sales instead of positive sales growth, um, those bonds will all, or at least most of them, will drop down into junk category. And then, you know, those bonds are in pension funds that aren't allowed to hold junk and mutual funds that would have to sell them and and personal accounts that uh, are supposed to be low risk. And, and, and so it'll cause huge turmoil in the markets. And that could be a catalyst for the next financial crisis. So pay attention to trends in the corporate bond market, because all of a sudden that's that's a big deal. That's yeah. Yet another catalyst. Yeah. In fact, you've just written an article, I believe, uh, perhaps posted it uh, dollarcollapse.com today, John, was it uh, just today or maybe yesterday, what blows up first, part six, almost junk bonds. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. This is what could, what could blow up the system first. Yeah, that's part of the series where I'm looking at, at the things that could do it because there are so many and, and every yeah. one of them is an interesting story. You know, you look at China or Japan or U.S. equity valuations or the Middle East, you know, ongoing war. All of those things could cause a crisis that metastasizes to the rest of the economy because we're so fragile. We've borrowed so much money now that a problem anywhere um, on a scale that used to be pretty easily handled in a world of mostly decent finances. Um, Today, it can spread by knocking down other dominoes um, into a kind of a conflagration that, uh, that no amount of central bank monetary manipulation will stop. Uh, and so that's the big thing that's probably on the mind of most policymakers now is, um, you know, what if this thing gets going and we can't stop it? And their solution is to stop it right away. You know, the minute things get a little bit unstable, you jump in, which is what happened with the Fed just lately. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were going to raise interest rates three or four more times this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the stock market tanks and then they say, oh, never mind. <laughs> we're not going to raise interest rates anymore. You relax, you know, and if we have to, we'll cut interest rates. Um, yeah, I mean, so, 
and, and the reason they're doing that is because they know we're so fragile that you can't let something progress to the point where it's a clear and present danger because by that point it might be unstoppable. Um, so these guys are preemptively um, easing and, uh, and you know, loosening conditions in whatever way they have the power to do. Um, and it's, it's only going to be quicker over time because they, they waited a couple of months this time, next time they'll they'll wait a week. You know, if the stock market drops by five percent a week, boom, they're in the market doing something. And obviously, that has a limited uh, time frame in which to operate because eventually you you get to zero, where uh, you just have to operate preemptively without even any problems in the market. You're just liquefying these mm-hmm. markets to keep anything from happening. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you get the inflationary um, death spiral that we know is coming someday. Oh, it's 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 uh, talk about a hellish situation. I mean, when you think of Venezuela right now, with its I don't know in, inflation rate of uh, beyond triple digits, I think. But in any event, John, then what happens to the debt markets? I mean, I, I, it, it's hard to say how, especially the long end of the yield curve. How can you hold interest rates down if you start having inflationary problems? And and why would anybody want to want to buy? long-dated treasuries? Well, this comes down to the value of the world's fiat currencies. See, if dollars are still perceived to be valuable out there, <clears throat> or euros or yen or Chinese yuan, uh, then the governments of those countries have the ability to manipulate their bond markets by creating new currency and buying bonds. In other words, you, you buy a bond, it pushes up the price of those bonds. And so you stabilize the market. Um, but as soon as people start to lose faith in these currencies, because they see they're being created in absolutely unmanageable, insane quantities, and they start selling those currencies whenever they get them, the price of those currencies fall, and the governments lose the ability to, to manipulate their financial markets. Um, so right now, they have the ability to put interest rates anywhere they want to. For instance, the Japanese central bank just pegged an interest rate for the 10-year bond. I think it was zero. They said, we will buy unlimited Japanese government bonds in the open market um, priced to yield zero. And they they got away with it. Um, But there will come a time when they can't get away with that anymore. And when they do, that's when it's game over. But by then, there will be so much debt in the world and and so many overvalued assets out there that the air pockets under every conceivable kind of financial asset will just be immense. They will just gap down all at once, you know, and... uh, and then it's anybody's guess what happens because we haven't even talked about politics yet, but no. the financial world that crazy leads to a political situation that's even crazier. Well, we're, we're heading that way now, obviously, already. We obviously are heading that way before we get to uh, AOC and her crazy ideas and some of the others from the left uh, in the Democratic Party. I, I want to ask you, I mean, you talked about the dollar and I'm just looking uh, at a uh, in an article, I, you, I think I sent it to you. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it or not. Dollar trapped in negative feedback loop, according to this is I think um, uh, Morgan Stanley's analysts are concerned that the dollar may be heading into a, uh, a a negative feedback loop. I think along the lines of what you were just suggesting. I mean, we could start to see when people don't want the dollar, and already there are geopolitical issues why a lot of the countries, for, for the longest time, John, we've been able to live beyond our means in America because the Japanese or the Chinese or others have been willing and able to buy our treasuries. Americans haven't wanted to do it, and we've lived beyond our means. We've gone into debt, increased our debt, 
And now our federal debt, of course, at the at the peak of a of an economic cycle, what are we running? Something like six hundred or eight hundred billion dollars of, of deficit this year, John? At the top of the economic cycle, what happens when it when we go down again? I mean, what? yeah, um, this is um, this is probably what's happening with the dollar right now is probably just a, a squiggle. Um, prior to something much bigger happening later, but um, but you know who knows? Uh, what's going on now is that uh, U.S. asset prices are down a bit. Mm-hmm. Other words, stock prices have gone down, um, and the dollar has fallen a little bit from its highs. And you mm-hmm. combine those two things, and you get a negative return on U.S. assets, mm-hmm. and therefore less demand for U.S. dollars because mm-hmm. you don't need to buy U.S. assets with U.S. dollars if you're not going to get a positive return on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and let that continue. In other words, let in, um, the dollar keep falling and asset prices keep falling. And th- those two things feed on each other until you get the possibility of a feedback loop that just pushes the dollar down continuously with no end in sight. Um, I, I suspect right now that this is just one of those squiggles against the other fiat currencies. You know, Because remember, mm-hmm. when people say strong dollar or weak dollar – in, in today's world, they're talking about relative to the euro and the yen. Right, exactly. Pound. And that's not a meaningful measure because all of these things are declining in value. They're just declining in value at differing rates at different times. So the, um, the big deal for currencies is when they all start falling against real stuff. In other words, when commodity prices, for instance, start rising all around the world then that is a, a global inflation. That is a global decline in the value of these currencies. And when that gets started, that's the trigger point. You know, that might set off the, uh, the crack-up boom where nobody wants to hold these currencies anymore. Uh, yeah. I don't think what's happening now is that because at the same time the dollar is going down, the euro and the yen are going up. You know? So, mm-hmm. so they're just kind of offsetting each other. And in mm-hmm. the world of fiat currencies, there is still perceived to be value. That mm-hmm. won't last. Someday we'll figure this out. And, and then it's going to be, um, well, it's going to be October and November of 2018 on steroids. Th- those were crazy months, but we're going to see things that, that make those things look like, um, you know, um, the foothills on the way to the mountains. It's, it's going to be very different and much scarier than what we just lived through. John, you're a bit younger than I, but I certainly remember the 1970s and um, I was a young adult then working in Manhattan, and I remember the fear that I experienced at that time with uh, double-digit inflation. And Paul Volcker then, of course, was able to come in and, and slam the brakes on the monetary machine. Uh, and we had uh, my first mortgage rate was a 17.5% mortgage. We had 12 14% 12, treasury rates, I believe, if memory serves me correctly. There's no way that can be done now. We can't even let interest rates rise a little bit because it will just... Uh, it will, you know, trigger a liquidity crisis and a global depression. Yeah, we think of the 1970s as this big financial crisis. Anybody who remembers them, um, but finances of most countries were actually in pretty good shape back then. We had relatively little debt uh, compared to the size of the economy, and we were fairly productive. In other words, if we borrowed new money in the 1970s and invested it, we generated a pretty good return on it. Today, that's not true. We have immense amounts of debt relative to the size of the economy, and the new debt we take on doesn't generate very much new wealth. So for a new Paul Volcker to come in and say, well, we're going to 
fixed this financial crisis by raising interest rates at 20%, that would, that would destroy the world. Uh, wow. Because, uh, you know, as, as we talked about earlier um, today, if interest rates go up, that increases all the indebted entities' interest costs. Mm-hmm. So raise interest rates from here, you know, from an average of 2 or 3% to an average of, of 15%, and you quadruple or quintuple the interest cost of a lot of very indebted things out there. And so you'll have governments going bankrupt and pension funds blowing up and hedge funds just imploding and, and tons of people who have um, adjustable rate mortgages or variable rate business loans or credit card debt that fluctuates with the 10-year treasury or whatever. Uh, you'll have all those guys being un- unable to pay their bills and going bankrupt. And so it'll set off this chain reaction that basically evaporates the global financial system. So we can't do that. So we've lost that tool. All right, John, uh, with just a limited amount of time left here, I've titled today's show, Socialism Provides a Bullish Case for Gold. Now, you know, we've we've known we're in big trouble long-term anyway with the demographics going the way they are, uh, baby boomers and and, and collecting and not enough people working to provide the revenues to keep the Social Security system, Medicare, and so forth in in place. But now along comes uh, this Ocasio-Cortez lady from uh, from Queens, where I live here, uh, and she's suggesting that there is no limit to what government can do. There's absolutely no limit in that we should be out there providing free college, free, free uh, college education, free health care, unlimited entrance for foreigners to come into the country so they can collect as well. This woman has no idea about limited resources, does she? And, and where is this going to take us? I mean, is this going to accelerate what we're talking about, the demise and the catastrophe that lies ahead? Someone like this coming along and saying, we got to do all this now? Well, Jay, do we have one minute for me to do some background? We have two or three so, minutes. So, okay, good. Um, we, can, we can trace today's politics back to 1971 when Richard Nixon took the world off the gold standard. Prior to that, uh, if a country wanted to do something, they had to actually go get gold. Right. At least to an extent to do it. So, so they were limited in what they could do, and they had to prioritize. Uh, when we went off the gold standard, it basically handed all the world's governments an unlimited printing press or um, an unlimited credit card that yep. they could use to spend on anything they wanted to. So they stopped having to prioritize. So now you've got the right in the U.S. You know, we just elected Trump. Um, who massively increased military spending because the neocons advising him want to be able to basically take over the world. They want to be able to fight everybody else in the world and win. That's their goal. And so now we're spending way more on the military than we used to. Uh, And that, you know, turning loose the Republicans, emboldened the Democrats. Now they feel free to speak their mind, and it turns out their mind is wildly, ragingly socialist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now they're, they're leading politicians have basically dusted off every single spending program that any of their constituencies would like to see. And they're talking about putting them all in a package, giving them to everybody for free. And then, as you said, worrying about how to pay for it later. And the the reason they think that's okay is because we've been doing that since the 1970s. We've been able to, to borrow lots of money and get away with it. So the political class now thinks that's how the world works. They're, they're complete financial illiterates on both the right and the left. You know, the neocons in the Republican Party are just as financially illiterate as the socialists in the Democrat Party. Amen. So whoever wins... Yeah, no doubt about it, John. So, so the dollar is going... is The dollar's days are numbered, no doubt. Do you see it that way? 
Yeah, yeah, we're we're in the late stages of the process now because now whoever wins in the next um, presidential election is going to run trillion dollar deficits forever every and year. At, at some and point, and then multi triple, and then multi triple, yes. and, and who knows? Yeah, yeah, and and see, there's a number out there in terms of the amount of debt in the system that blows us up. We don't know what yeah. that number is, but we know we're heading towards it. And it's possible that we're very close. So the faster we go, the sooner we'll get there. And we're, we're about to turbocharge the process. All right. We're going to have to leave it go at that. All I can say is people better buy gold now while the dollar still buys some of it. Because there's going to come a day when your dollar won't buy any any of it, uh, any of the real honest money. Uh, we'll have to leave it go at that. John, Thanks you. thank you so much for being with us again. You're always welcome and always uh, insightful. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, Pierre Lassan, the legendary investor, uh, is scheduled to be with us. Hopefully, he he will be with us. Uh, and Triumph Gold will be here. We'll have one of their exploration team, uh, one of their geologists from their exploration team uh, here to talk as well. And uh, Michael Oliver, too, hopefully will be with us again. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.